Well, in, in the, the spirit of kind of how the past few weeks have been, <laughs> with mucky and mud and rain and all that kind of stuff, I, I thought it fitting, maybe, even with, I think snow's about to come. Are they saying snow? Now, this is Tuscaloosa, so that could obviously be not true. But, you know, maybe in the spirit of, of just kind of the muckiness, I thought it might be good for us to just talk about car washes when we start out today. Um, and I really do think it will be fitting. Um, as a matter of fact, has anybody been to, have y'all been to that car wash, the new one, the new Fast Tracks by Walmart? Have y'all been to that one? Any, anybody been there recently? Right? Okay. They have neon lights in this thing. I kid you not. There are neon lights and glow foam. It's like the rave party of car washes. I mean, it is, it is wicked cool. Um, very cool to go through. So all of you head out there today. Um, but I say that to say this. I think a lot of times that we think of salvation a lot like a car wash. We kind of attribute to what it means to, to be in Christ kind of like a car wash. As a matter of fact, here's a little picture. We think this is what salvation is like. Now, before I explain where I'm headed... Um, you see in your handout, grounded is what we've called this series. There's a graphic out in the foyer that says grounded. The, there's been pictures that say grounded. Everything that we're looking at in the book of Ephesians is showing us how we are stable and grounded in Christ. Okay, So make sure you have that in your head before I explain what's going on here. If you think of salvation or the work of Christ like this, you will never find stability. You just won't. Meaning this, a lot of us think of salvation kind of like, okay, we know in our sin that we're dirty, and so salvation is kind of like Jesus taking us through a car wash, cleaning us up, and spitting us out on the other side. And so we can kind of drive in, pay our dues, do the thing, get cleaned up, be happy in Christ, be grounded in Christ, right? And then maybe just kind of go back out and get dirty again. And then as we go out and get dirty again, then we know that we can kind of come back and kind of get cleaned up. And whether it's go to church or go to a community group or go to a mission group or go to a Bible study or whatever it is, listen to John Piper on podcast or what he always gets us cleaned up. You know, we, we think it's something like that. And if that's the way you think salvation works, number one, you'll never grasp the fullness of what Christ has really done. And the freedom that he really gives and life change that really occurs through salvation. Because this is not what salvation looks like. It's not just him kind of cleaning us up from our dirtiness. This is what salvation looks like. It looks like this. You are a hoopty. Right? Now, I don't know how many of y'all grew up in the Mix-A-Lot era days. I did, obviously, dating myself. My hoopty rolling, tailpipe dragon. Heat don't work, so the girl keep nagging, right? Like, this, is, this is who we are. We're this. We've got to understand we're not just kind of dirty. Like we are broken down, tailpipe dragging. This is us. This is who we are. And salvation is not that he can just kind of shine this up and make us clean. Salvation is that through Christ... We come out the other side like this. Boom! We're totally new. It's totally changed. We have a different engine. We have a different body. We have everything is different. 
And when you understand that, only then will salvation finally begin grounding you. What I'm trying to say is this. If your notion of salvation is God just kind of cleans us up and shines us up, when the world caves around you, you'll cave because you'll feel the dirtiness and the weight and all that kind of stuff. But when you realize that salvation is actually this, a whole new thing, right? And, and this is a good way that I, maybe I could slide this in here. We don't really do pastor appreciation and all that kind of stuff at Safe Haven. Not, but if we do start doing that next year, the 2021 Bronco, I would take, I would accept, I would appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> My point is this, when we understand that we're totally changed in this, the world can fall around and it doesn't matter. Because we go, this world is not my home, I'm new. I'm whole. It's not just the fact that I'm a little bit dirty and can get cleaned up. It's that I've been changed and God sees me different than I think that I am. That's the gospel. Alright? Y'all ready for Ephesians? All right, this has been a good book, hasn't it? Man, it's been a good book. We're going to keep going through it. All right, let's dive in. Here we go. So Paul is going to say to us, this is what really happens before Christ, you are. And side note, if you're a guest here, we are an exegetical teaching church meaning that we just go straight through books of the Bible. Um, so we'll be in the end of chapter 2 today, and we'll pick right back up in chapter 3 tomorrow. We just teach straight through books of the Bible. So um, we'll be in chapter 2, verses 11 through the end of it. So here we are. Ephesians chapter 2. Before Christ, Paul says you're this. And let's grasp this. If we can grasp this, it'll change us emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, all the above. Before Christ, you are, verse 11... Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. So, number one, before Christ, you're, you're, you're Gentile. Now, we can think of that in terms of nationality, but that's really not what Paul's getting at here. Gentile in the Bible could be equated with a, a dog, really. And I don't say that haphazardly or lightly. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, he went to some Gentiles, some non-Jews, okay, he goes into the town of Canaan. You'll remember this. And there was a lady who came up and she said, Hey, I want you to heal my daughter. And Jesus looks at her and here's how he responds to her. He says, he said, Why would I take the food that is reserved for the children of Abraham and give it to dogs? In this moment, and we don't think of Jesus. We think of Jesus as this benevolent, loving, which he is. He's also equally wrath, all these kind of things. He looks, and he basically, in this moment, calls this lady a, a dog. He says, why would I take what belongs to the children of Israel and give it to you? And her response is, even the dogs get to eat scraps that are up under the table. But... There's a whole other story for another day. Actually, you can go check out our website. We went through Matthew. You can go see what that's all about. But the point is this. Paul says, listen, you've got to remember, before Christ, it's not that you were just kind of unclean. It's that you were a smelly, dirty, defiled dog. You don't deserve what is reserved for the children of Israel. That's who we are before Christ. And it gets even darker than that. He goes on to say this. Before Christ, you were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Troy, why on earth are we talking about circumcision? Go with me. 
You're called the uncircumcision by what is called the uncircumcision, which is made by the flesh of hands. So number not only are you Gentiles, but you're also uncircumcised. You're, you're not part of the Abrahamic promise. When everybody thinks of the benevolent, loving God, that benevolence and lovingness throughout Scripture is directed towards a certain people group. In the Old Testament, namely, one group. And that group was the who? Israelites. That's who the Abrahamic covenant was was towards. It was pointed directly to the children of Abraham. And what Paul says is, listen, before Christ, remember, you're not a part of the family. Finish this with me. Most of y'all probably went to a VBS or two growing up. Maybe got the the gold stickers. Um, There's a song. It says this. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Finish it. I am one of them and... Paul says you're not. Bad theology. Don't get your theology from little kids' songs, okay? There are some good ones. Paul says, no, no, no. Before Christ, you cannot sing that song. Father Abraham had many sons, and I'm one of them, but you're not, is what Paul says. That's who we are before Christ. It gets even worse than that. Verse 12, he says, remember... At that time, you were separated from Christ. In other words, the coming Messiah that was promised to the nation of Israel, you're separated from that. You don't get in on the benefits of the coming Messiah. It's even darker than that. Not only are you separated, but you are alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and you're strangers to the covenant promise. The nation of Israel was promised three things. I will give you some land... It's a very specific plot of land. I will give you descendants that will come after you, some very specific descendants, and I will give you a blessing, namely that I will be your God and you will be my people. And here's what Paul is saying. Please feel the weight of this. He's saying before Christ, you don't get in on any of that. You don't get the land. You don't get to be a part of the descendants. And you don't get the promised blessing that I will be your God and you will be my people. It's even darker than that. Because of all these things, he says this, you're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant promise, and you, you have no hope. You're hopeless. And some of you in this room, in a, in a room this size, there's probably some people that don't know Christ. And you constantly feel the weight of that hopelessness. Hopelessness will always carry you in one of two directions. It's, it's a crazy pendulum swing, right? If you're hopeless, you will ride the pendulum to just depressed depression. Couldn't come up with another word. You'll feel the weight of depression, right? If I'm hopeless, then I have nothing to live for. Therefore, what am I even here for? And you'll feel yourself fall into that weight. And some of you guys feel that apart from Christ. Or you'll ride the pendulum not from depression, but all the way to destruction. Hopeless people not only can be depressed, but also incredibly destructive. Destructive being, well... You know what? I don't have any hope anyway, so the world is my oyster and I'll do whatever the I want to do. And they're destructive to themselves and destructive to everybody around them. And so we'll ride that pendulum swing from depression to destructions if there is no hope. And here's what Paul squarely says. Before Christ, that's who you are. The world will ride you back and forth and you'll feel the weight of that. Because there's no grounding stability for you to hold on to. And not only that, 
hope kind of being like that oxygen that is to our lungs, you, you, you'll feel that smothering feel. Y'all remember that commercial several years ago? I can't remember who put it out, but it was, it was an asthma commercial. And the, the goldfish jumped out of the... Y'all remember that? The goldfish jumps out of the little bowl and it's sitting there and it's breathing. I don't mind dying. Don't want to smother. That's one of those things. I, like, I can't, I can't go under things. Throw me out of an airplane. Let me splat. That's a good way to die. Put me in the ocean. Make me drown. Don't want to go that route, okay? And I, you remember, those of you saw that, you remember feeling that, that fish is trying to breathe. That's just what he's saying. He's saying, listen, if you constantly feel that, it could be that you don't know Christ. He says, before Christ, that's all you can feel. That's smothering. And so now that we're all feeling that and want to catch some air, he says it gets worse than that. Even darker. Because we're with no hope, we are now without God in the world. Number seven. See, contrary to popular opinion, God is definitely the creator of all. No doubt about it. But he's not the father of all. And if your notion of God is this benevolent, loving father of all, then you don't know the God of the Bible. And I don't say that in a ticky type way. It's just true. And unless we understand that, that God can be creator but also not father of all, then we'll begin to grasp what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, listen, before Christ, yes, he may have created you, but he has nothing to do with you. That is about as dark as it can get. And so this notion of this ever-benevolent, ever-present supplier is just not found in Scripture. What Paul's painting for us to get us to see the weight of our hooptiness is a lot like Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 1. It'll be on the screen. Feel this weight, guys. If you don't feel this weight, you'll never understand the grounding and freedom of the gospel. Here's what he says in Isaiah 1. God says of people who are not following him, when you come to appear before me, who's required of you this trampling of my courts? Before Christ, we just trampled his courts. We're stepping on his lawn. Bring no more of your vain offerings. Your incense is an abomination to me. Your new moon and your Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons, your appointed feast, my soul hates. Some strong words. In other words, let's bring it down to North Portian language. If you are not truly following me before Christ, when you gather as a church on Sunday mornings, you make me want to vomit, is what he's saying. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. Listen to this. If you've ever wondered the question, does God have to listen to all people's prayers? This is going to answer it for you. Before Christ, squarely no. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not, what? I won't listen. Your hands are full of blood. And I take us there because Paul took us there. And what he's going to show us is this. You've got to feel the weight of our broken downness. 
you got to feel the weight of the fact that we're not just broken down, but we're thrown in a junkyard. And you got to feel the weight that we're not just broken down and thrown in a junkyard, but we're abandoned in our own flesh is where we get. And so when I read all of that, maybe like you, I do feel the weight of that asthma commercial. I start going, well, if that's the case, I know who I am, and I ain't got a shot, right? Maybe some of you guys are feeling that as well. And the believers in this room who are already studying ahead are like, Troy, just go on to those next two words. Like, just go ahead and go to those next two words, Troy. Get there. Go there. Just jump to the next two words. We're going to go there, but I, I can't just yet. I don't want us to go right there. Hang on. If that's you, Troy, get to the next two. Just hang on. We'll get there. But don't miss feeling the weight of that first half. I think that's what we we'll do a lot of times with the text. We just try to jump on. Don't jump on. Feel it. Unbeliever, I want to tell you two things. If you're an unbeliever who's never trusted in the finished work of Christ, all of those things are true of you. They're true. God is distant if you're not trusting in the finished work of Christ, number one. But number two, it doesn't have to be that way. Today, things can change. Trust in Christ. Meaning this, we are a broken down hoopty. But God had this great, divine, gracious plan. But it, it came at a cost. And it came at the cost of His Son. And so both voluntarily and at the will of the Father, Jesus, however the Godhead works in eternity past, steps up and He says, they are broken down, they are abandoned, but I will go to them. So, Jesus steps out of eternity He begins to live a life. He condescends down into an embryo, right? Like, that's pretty awesome. Big God into a zygote. That's pretty crazy. He's born. He lives a perfect life. He never messes up. He never has one moment of hooptiness. He is a continual 2021 shiny bronco and never a spot of dust, never a spot. He lives sinless. There's no flaw in him. And so, therefore, if anybody gets to skip all of these things, it's Jesus, right? He earned it. He earned salvation. And so, you would think he's just going to kind of chariot a fire moment, boom, slip off into the sky. But no, what happens to him? He doesn't die. He allows himself to be killed. And so, in that moment, he takes on death because death is the punishment for our dirtiness. Adam was without sin, began to sin, and so death begins to reign. And so Jesus steps in and he says, listen, I will die. I'll wear the weight. And we go, no, no, no. Jesus, if anybody deserves not to die, it's you. And he says, no, no, you don't understand. He's killed. He goes through all the things that we see at Easter pageants. He's beaten. He's nailed, he's pierced, he's crowned, all of these things. He dies the death that we deserve. He's placed in a grave. And if the story ends there, we still don't have any hope. He's just another dead man six feet below, right? But the beautiful news is on the third day, Christ rises again from the grave, breaking the law of gravity. Up from the grave he arose. Boom, he's there. 
And the beauty is that is not so that we can go to Belk and buy some new clothes if people still go to Belk, right? It's not so that we can get on Amazon and buy some new clothes for Easter. It's not so that we can, you know, have deviled eggs, which is a great benefit of Easter, right? It's not so that all those things happen. The beauty of the moment is so that, boom, he proves that the Father says, accepted. I accept what this man has done on the behalf of those who can't. He conquered death. Boom, he's alive. And that's crazy in and of itself. But the crazier part is that Jesus then looks and he says, I earned righteousness and I will give it, deposit it into the bank account of those who give their life to me and trust in me. Believer, believe on that today. If something's overcoming your, I mean, I said believer. Believer, you believe on that today as well. That's the hope of the gospel. Unbeliever, believe on that today, meaning, understand you can't do anything to earn your salvation. But you can trust in the one who did earn your salvation. And in that moment, with that said, Paul begins to breathe the gospel back into our suffocating lungs. All right? Before Christ were these things, but after Christ, Paul is going to begin to say, verse 13, but now. This is where it starts getting really, like the other got really dark really quick, this gets really good really fast. But now, for those who were in Christ, after Christ, verse 13, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You were distanced before after Christ, he, he brings you near. Maybe a, a, a quick little example of that. I was about 10 years old. The movie Rad had just come out. Anybody seen the movie Rad, the BMX movie? Okay. We have a really young church. Jared, you're there with me, right? All right. There we go, dog. This is crazy. And so, of course, as a good 10-year-old, I was like, well, there's only two lots in life. I'm either going to be a major league baseball player or a BMX rider. I mean, what else could you possibly be? And so I, after church one day, we lived right there by the church. I went and hopped on my bicycle, and I'm, I'm riding around, and I hit some gravel. Gravel is the kryptonite of all BMX riders at age 10. The tires slip out. I fall down. I smash my face on the concrete. It just, you know, I'm, I'm there. I'm kind of dazed and confused. Y'all have seen the movie Dazed and Confused, haven't you? Yeah, you bunch of young folk, right? So, so here's the I, I slip, and all this kind of stuff goes on. And then all of a sudden, this car pulls up, and it's Ralph Whitmore. Ralph's still alive. He's about 90, I don't know, he's 90-something at this point. He runs out there, Ralph, <laughs> he runs out there and he grabs me. And he, and he doesn't tell me, hey, you should have done this or should have that. He just, he just grabs me and just pulls me in. He just sucked me in. And, and I remember, partly because I'm super OCD, I remember thinking, the first thought in my head was, I'm getting blood all over this man's shirt. <laughs> because I knew it was coming down, and, he, and Ralph didn't care. He just pulled me in. Before Christ, you're alienated. After Christ, pulled in. Hugged on. And you go, no, no, but I'm dirty. I'm getting blood on you. And he says, I don't care. I just need you to know you're, you're loved. It gets even better than that. Verse 14, he says, not only are you pulled in, but he himself is our peace. So he's not just giving you 
peaceful things. Yes, he earned something that you get. Yes, he achieved something that you get to receive. But he is who he is. And he himself for us is the peace. Let me explain this. A lot of times we think salvation is just that we'll walk into eternity one day and he go, hey, yeah, they were dirty, but I cleaned them up. Now look how shiny they are. No. What Paul says is the greater news is for the believer after Christ, we will walk into eternity and God not say, that's kind of a shiny version of Sean. That's kind of a shiny version of Randall. No, no, no. It's kind of a shiny version of Beth. It's kind of a shiny version of Joe. That's not what happens. In Christ, the peace is, in eternity, we walk into eternity and he goes, you look just like Jesus. He is our peace. And he gets even better than that. Who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. So he gives us, after Christ, access apart from the law. That wall that he's talking about is the law. Being this, before Christ, there's this giant wall, and the wall is you have to keep all the feasts. You have to do all the right things. You have to say all the right things. You, you have to figure out how to work your way over the wall, proving yourself good enough to be accepted by God. Well, the problem with that is, none ya and none of us are capable of that. We can't jump the wall. All the wall proves is that we can't jump high enough, we can't climb high enough, we're not sticky enough to make it up and over the wall. That's the, the problem with the wall. And so the beauty of this is that Jesus comes in like a wrecking ball and destroys the wall of hostility for those in him, giving us access to the Father. Now that, my friend, is grounding stable news. He abolishes this wall. Recently said in a, in a, in a sermon somewhere, like it's a real place, it's not just... Like this guy really said this, and when I heard it, I was like, ah. This was met with applause. He said this, heart issues never start in the heart. Heart issues always start with habits. And that reeks of gospellessness. The point of that being this. The heart issues don't start in the heart. It starts with habits. Therefore, if you get your habits in order, then you will fix your heart. And the gospel screams to you, you will not get your habits in order enough. You just won't. Somebody had to do it for you. And Paul's screaming, and Jesus did. You do have a heart problem. We're sinners. We want what we want. And Christ comes in and says, I'll conquer it for you. And so in doing so, he breaks down that dividing wall. The wall is meant to show us our need for him. And he goes on getting even better. Why? That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So in Christ, we're made into one new man. No unicorn of multiple races doesn't exist There's one race, it's the Adamic race. 
Adam was born, and in him there's one race, and therefore it, all men fall after that. And then after the fall, we created all kind of more different things, all kind of more different things. Grammarians in this room want to punch me right in the teeth right now, right? <laughs> Jess. So, yes, here's the deal. We were like, okay, well, there's Jews, well, there's Gentiles, well, there's Greeks, well, there's this, well, there's that. And he says, listen, after Christ, the beauty is brought back into the Adamic state, meaning this. God created man to walk with him in the garden in the cool of the day. After Christ, we get to walk in the garden with God in the cool of the day. Just as he intended. It gets even better than that. Verse 16, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. (laughs) So number five, after Christ, we're reconciled away from hostility. Before Christ, God is nothing but hostile to us. And it's just hostility. He's justified in doing so because we don't match his standard. And so, apart from Christ, the truth is that God despises you. Now, that hurts some of your ears because you've never heard anything like that. That's just the Bible. Apart from Christ, his hatred burns against us. And again, it's justified because we're unrighteous. It's, it's just, and the beauty is, after Christ comes grace, meaning that he's not angry towards us, but he, he somehow loves to spoil us. It's kind of like this. In the, in, in the first service, we had tons of, of grandparents um, and maybe there's some grandparents in this room now, but so for all the grandparents in this room, I just need to tell you that you guys lose your ever-loving minds when you're around your grandkids. You just do. And can I get an amen from all the people with kids right now? Grandparents lose their minds when they're around the grandkids. Like growing up, I was like, Mom, can I please... Mother dearest, is how I would begin my conversations. Might I please have a Skittle? No, son, thou shalt not have a Skittle, blah, blah, blah. My kids walk into the room and they're like, baby, here's you a Skittle and a nerve rope and a piece of cake. I also cooked you an apple pie. Would you like a piece of pizza? And I'm like, no, hush, hush, hush. They need some Coke, okay? They pour Coke down their throat and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, you've lost your mind. This is what Paul says. Before Christ, he is angry with you. After Christ, he loves to lavish his love upon you. Who has some good stuff? And it gets even better. You're like, Troy, stop there. No, because it gets better. It keeps going. He says this, verse 17. And not only that, he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So we're given access to the Father by the Spirit. There's so many things I could say about that, but I can't. We don't have time. This is a shameless plug for what we're about to start on Sunday nights where we can actually dive deeper. I mean, y'all realize this is about 15 sermons that we could do, right? We don't have time to go into this, but after Christ, you can walk straight up to God. No formula, no beads, no saint, no whatever, and just approach Him as a father. You don't have to have some lofty words speaking in the King James language, right? God, I'm here, thou thus, blah, blah, blah. You can just walk up and go, all right, God, world's nutty right now. We got to have some conversation. And he go, come on, let's talk about it. That's what we have in him. It gets even better than that. Verse 19, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints, and you are members of the household of God 
You are illegal aliens made citizens, saints, members, and family of the household of God. That's who you are after Christ. If you didn't catch last week's sermon, I talked about Camden walking into my house and eating my food all the time. Well, it happened again Friday night. He comes over to my house and he eats my cinnamon toast crunch. You don't eat a man's cinnamon toast crunch, Cam. Bone comes in there, eats my cinnamon toast crunch, and you know what I did? I went, cool. You know why? Because he's family. Now, he's obviously way... He's got skin tone, and my, my family's translucent, and he has hair, and, well, we don't. Well, Cole has a lot of hair, but it's going away one day. So, it, the point is this. We're drawn in. We're of the beloved, and he calls us family, and he says, you can eat my cinnamon toast crunch if you want. I don't care. That's who you are in Christ. And not only that, verse 20, he built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. How many of y'all walked in here thinking, I'm a part of the holy temple of the Lord? You might not have, but I sure hope if you're a believer, you walk out thinking that. You're a holy temple of the Lord. Verse 22, as we close today, and in Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's a strange but fantastic closing point. That being that you become, after Christ, a stone in the dwelling place of God. Did you catch what went on in that passage? Here's how it went down. God's building something eternal. Something only for Himself. Something that he will be God and there will be people. He's building that. And Paul reminds us that after Christ, the prophets laid the foundation for that. Jesus steps in and is the cornerstone that everything else is built off of. But after Christ, you are a living stone placed in that temple. You're worthy to be a part of the dwelling place of God. That's awesome. All because of the things that you did? No. But all because of what Christ has done for you in the work of the gospel. This is the part that if we had holy hankies, we should be waving them and shouting. But unless somebody has a holy hanky, I guess we don't do that today. One day soon, the dwelling place of God will be with man. And we will be his people if you've trusted in the finished work of Christ. And that has more sticking, grounding power than anything else you'll ever find or TV comes up with. Band, come on back up. So yes, every believer is equal in light of the cross. Every believer is united in light of the cross. And every believer is grounded and stable and loved in light of the cross. So, like, how do we, how do you walk away from that? (laughs) I mean, how do you walk away with, like, this gospel shower? And that's what I hope you walked away with today. I hope you walked away going, I walked into that room, and then all of a sudden it was like I was in a shower, and they scrubbed me down with the gospel. (laughs) I hope that's what you walk away with. Not stupid stories and all that kind of stuff. I hope you walk away and never... How do we... Like, how do you end that? 
I don't know all the ways that we walk away from that text, but I know it has to, it must birth in us humble adoration for Jesus, if nothing else. And hopefully that's the primary thing it births in us. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, I feel like we're a broken record when we, every Sunday, we just come to this point and go, what a text. What a text. I mean, God, I don't know what else to say. Thank you for divinely inspiring Paul to, to teach us and to guide us and to show us the hope that we have not in ourselves, but the hope that we have in Jesus. I pray for the one who walked in hopeless today that they'll walk away with the hope of Christ exploding out of their ears. And for a believer who forgot about their hope in Christ, that they'll be enamored once again and that this will catch them on fire afresh and anew. God, would you start revival out of Northport, Alabama in a crazy little renovated church in the middle of a rural town by a lake? God, would you start revival right here? Start it in us. That we could not speak about you at work tomorrow. We could not speak about you at the ballpark. We couldn't not... God, that we just... That there's no way we could contain it. Erupt in us. You're God. You're holy. And you love us? What? Thank you. I mean, thank you. Thank you. Hey, church, let's worship. Let's worship. Let's stand. And let's worship the Lord.